Welcome to the Florida Roundup, and thanks for listening. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. And I'm Matthew Petty. Well, Florida could soon allow people to carry concealed guns without permits or training. Florida House Speaker Paul Renner has introduced a bill that would remove the state's requirements for a permit and training to carry concealed weapons. It's a move that's been endorsed by Governor Ron DeSantis. It'll be something that will be done in the regular session, and that puts us in line now with the majority of states uh, who have done that. And um, you know, even states like Vermont and New Hampshire um, have been able to do that. So, uh, so we'll, we'll get that done. If the legislation passes, Florida would become the 26th state to allow people to carry concealed loaded guns without permits. The so-called permitless carry bill has the backing of the Florida Sheriff's Association, although sheriffs in Central and South Florida have spoken out against it. Here's Broward County Sheriff Gregory Tony last month voicing his opposition to such a measure. I have too much experience behind dealing with mass shootings, dealing with active shooter events. I've talked to other colleagues as I'm a member of the major county sheriffs of the United States Association. They are in opposition of it. They share their experiences of dynamics of calls coming out that, hey, we have uh, someone walking through a school campus ground with a rifle slung over their shoulder. That creates an alarm and activation of a thousand different variables that are not good for public safety. Now, at the same time, the first week of February is National Gun Violence Survivors Week. More people die from gun violence by early February in the U.S. than in an entire calendar year in other high-income countries. This month also marks the fifth anniversary of the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland. That tragedy sparked the first major gun reform legislation in Florida in decades. We begin the hour at a closer look at this push to expand gun rights in Florida. Let us know your thoughts. It's 305-995-1800 or tweet us at Florida Roundup. Joining us this hour, State Representative Dan Daly, Democrat representing parts of Broward County. Uh, Mr. Daly, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Also joined by Eric Friday, Lead Counsel for Florida Carry Incorporated. Uh, Eric, thank you so much as well. Thank you for having me. Eric, I want to begin with you. Uh, just walk us through the current requirements for purchasing a firearm in the state of Florida. What are they? Well, for purchasing a firearm, uh, they're primarily dictated by federal law. And that law says that you have to go through a background check prior to purchasing a firearm from a licensed dealer. And that background check uh, must be completed within three business days and that the government is obligated if it wants to deny you the fundamental civil right to purchase a firearm, it's the government's obligation to find evidence that you are somehow prohibited from purchasing that firearm. And if you lie on the background check form, it's a federal felony and you can go to prison for it. Right. So uh, down at the state level, though, how onerous is it for gun owners here in Florida to get a permit for a concealed carry? Well, uh, recently it's been very onerous. Um, you know, I, I actually just won a case last year that involved, uh, ha- you know, it took years for this client to get the right to carry a concealed firearm and get a permit because, unfortunately, the government denied them their purchase and then refused to even give them a hearing on whether or not it was a legal denial of that purchase. And the first DCA uh, Court of Appeals had to have a 12 to 3 en banc ruling that the Department of Agriculture had denied my client civil rights. Hmm. Okay. Rights come with responsibilities, though, right? And I just wonder how low you think we should set the bar for responsibilities to carry a concealed weapon in public. Well, we have a lot of rights in this country. We have a right to uh, free speech and to be a reporter. And I don't think that you can condition or treat the Second Amendment as a second class right. That's what the U.S. Supreme Court has repeatedly said since 2008 when it first weighed in on this rule, that uh, the Second Amendment is not a second class right and you can't treat it as such. We don't make reporters get background checks before they become reporters. We don't make people get a background check before they register to vote. And we shouldn't make people get background checks prior to exercising their right to bear arms. Uh, yeah, we already we do have a process of a three day background check for purchasing of firearms, but that should be the end of that process. So you're saying that it's OK to have background checks in some cases, but but the added background check is a bridge too far for you? Well, we, we have to be careful. Anytime we give the government the ability to restrict rights based on processes it puts in place, we risk those processes being denied or those rights being denied. 
uh, you know, back in the 1960s, we we limited the right to vote by limiting how many hours a particular office, voter registration office, was open. Uh, hmm. During 2020, we limited the right to bear arms by conditioning it on a fingerprint check that the sheriffs were obligated to give, but the sheriffs quit giving fingerprints in 2020 out of fears right. of COVID transmission. Uh, now, it wasn't intentional that they were denying people the right to bear arms, but that was the end result. Right, but do you think it's fair to equate the two? I mean, you know, the right to vote and the right to bear arms do seem quite different in terms of if you're carrying a firearm, uh, that's a different kettle of fish from, uh, you know, voting. You're not going to endanger anybody's life by voting, right? So... Is well, it fair yeah, to say they're the same on the same level? Well, you're right. They're not the same. There's a right to vote. There is a right to bear arms in the U.S. Constitution. There is no enumerated right to vote in the United States Constitution. Uh, the mm-hmm. better example would be the right of free speech. But I was pointing out the comparative use of government authority or government office hours to restrict civil rights. Look, when a woman has a domestic batterer that she's trying to protect herself from, that is not the time to make her wait 90 days to get a government permission slip to defend herself. Right. But on the flip side of that, there should be some background checks for the person who has been charged with battering her, right? Because that a lot of violence, gun violence cases, well, many of them seem to, uh, 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 some of them at least, uh, have connections with domestic violence. So there, there needs to be some kind of checks and balances. Well, the funny thing is, is if you'd listened, uh, if you listen to what the sheriffs said at the press conference on Monday, they pointed out the criminals, the bad guys, the lawbreakers, the people that will commit battery, murder, those types of things. They don't really worry about whether or not the gun store is going to sell them a gun. They go mm-hmm. steal it. They go buy it from a, a place where there's nobody requiring a background check. They don't care about the law. The only people that are constrained by a concealed carry license or by uh, background checks for purchasing firearms are people that aren't going to be misusing them anyway. And that is the fundamental flaw in this entire regulatory system we've set up. But, I mean, can you extrapolate that to, to other? I mean, because the argument then is, well, why should we have any laws if criminals aren't going to abide by them? What's the point? I, it, that, like, that is an argument that does seem to come up a lot. Uh, when folks discuss gun rights and responsibilities, but is that a fair thing to say? Generally speaking, we punish the misuse of a vehicle. We punish the misuse of alcohol. We Mm -hmm. punish the misuse of the right of free speech when it is done in a way that is uh, harmful and not within the protections of the First Amendment, uh, such as defamation. Guns are the only item the only constitutionally protected right that we regulate the possession first rather than the misuse of. And that's right. that's the fundamental problem is we punish the misuse. Somebody uses a gun to commit a crime, punish them for it, put them in jail, leave them there. Sure, I hear what you're saying, but I mean, there are also regulations governing who can drive a car and when and where you can consume and purchase alcohol, right? So there are regulations about those other two things you mentioned as well. And and there are regulations that I can't carry a gun into a jail. I can't carry a gun into a courthouse. I can't carry a gun into a lot of places in the state of Florida. Um, you know, s- silly enough, I can't carry a gun um, into a polling place, even though there's no security there that prevents a dangerous event from occurring. Um, you know, just the, the shooting in California a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. In that case, it was actually an unarmed man, but an unarmed man stopped that shooting, not a police officer. Uh, you know, again, to quote my good friend, Sheriff Ivy, the best police departments have response times in minutes. Criminals act in seconds. But does, does that kind of, uh, you know, support the argument that people, more people having access to firearms would would uh, work in a situation like that? I mean, to your point, it was an unarmed person who stopped that shooter. So would more guns help in that case? Well, if I was that gentleman, I would much rather have been able to stop the shooting with, a, with my own firearm than with my bare hands. Ultimately, we have to realize this. The ultimate right that any individual has is the right to their life and the right to protect their life. That's what the Second Amendment is all about. On the Mm. other hand, the permit system that we have in Florida that was created in 1892 or excuse me, 1893 was specifically created to prevent certain categories and segments of our or what we called at the time disfavored classes. Uh, You can based on the time frame, figure out who they were talking about to deny certain disfavored classes the right to bear arms because the 14th Amendment had restored that right that had been prevented in the original drafting of the Constitution. 
And Florida acted quickly to uh, deny that right to certain classes of people. And we continue to deny to certain classes of people, for example, those who can't afford a permit, those who can't afford to hire an attorney to challenge the government's denial of their right. And that's what we're seeking to stop by this bill. Hey, Matthew, um, is Dan Daly here. If I could, if I could just jump in, um, you, you asked a couple, you asked a question a couple minutes ago that, that Eric um, did not answer. And, and that was, what is the requirement uh, currently in the state of Florida in order to get a concealed carry permit? I've had a concealed carry permit. I support the Second Amendment. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I, I think that where we have where we are right now in state law is, is sufficient and it's not a very significant burden. Right. Um, you're required to, to fill out an application. You're required to undergo a background check. You're going to you're you're required to take a course that allows you to show proficiency in 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 in, in operating that firearm, considering we're allowing you to, to conceal it on your person in most places. Right. And that's really it. Um, and I, I think the, the couple of the things that, that Eric, you know, leaves out in, in this conversation, he talks about the fact that, well, in order to purchase a firearm, you generally have to get a background check. So this background check's redundant. That's not the case if it's a private sale. That's not the case if you purchase that firearm at a gun show. So there is, in that case, if this law becomes, if this bill becomes law, there is no background check potentially for any number of people who don't buy or buy it from a from a licensed dealer. Um, those you know individuals that that Eric said are fringed by the current law in Florida. Let me just give you the possible reasons for ineligibility. Just a couple of them uh, reasons for ineligibility for mm -hmm. a for a concealed carry permit in the state. Uh, include a felony conviction, having your, uh, an adjudication withheld or sentence suspended on a felony or misdemeanor crime of violence, uh, a record of drug and alcohol use, uh, failing to provide proof of proficiency with a firearm. Um, it's a pretty low, low burden, if you ask me. And if you ask the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, the overwhelming majority, it's something like 97 percent of background checks take 30 seconds. I don't think and my constituents certainly don't think and I don't think the majority of Floridians think a 30 second background check is an infringement on their right to have a concealed carry permit. All right. And we're hearing well, now from, if we, if I may, please, we're hearing now from State Representative Dan Daly, uh, Democrat of South Florida, Broward Democrat. County. Uh, Representative Daly, this is National Gun Violence Survivors Week. Your district does include families uh, who suffered the tragedy of the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School nearly five years ago. Uh, what are you hearing from your constituents about this proposal? Representative Daly. Okay, uh, we're ho we're hoping to get him back, but uh, nope. then, oh, there, go ahead. There we go. Nope, Melissa, I'm, I'm here. Somehow I was muted. Um, somebody didn't like what I had to say. No, no, that um, it was hey, just. Melissa, a, I'm sure it was look. an honest mistake. Go ahead. I'm sure. I'm sure. Hey, um, you know, look, it's not just my constituents. I think it's the overwhelming. Um, uh, number of, of Floridians and, and actually Americans, right? I mean, uh, the latest numbers that I've seen, something like 88% of Americans uh, approve of having some sort of permit process um, in order to conceal carry. Um, so it's not just my constituents. And, I, and I'll tell you, I do find the timing um, troubling, right? To your point, we're, we're under two weeks away from the fifth anniversary of the shooting at my alma mater. I was there the day of the shooting. I've worked with uh, any number of the, of the families since the shooting to try and be smart, right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not coming for anyone's guns. I support the Second Amendment. I've had a concealed carry permit. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Um, I think we should be taking steps in the right direction. I think this legislation goes backwards. I think we made some real progress in 2018 when the legislature passed the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act, which included some reasonable gun reforms. Um, and I think a measure like permitless carry in the state of Florida takes us back even further than that to the days of the Wild West, let me, where let anybody me, is, is eligible to carry a firearm. Let me ask you, uh, Representative Daly, we heard the governor at the top of the hour saying Florida is joining other states, uh, about half the states, in uh, pursuing this kind of legislation. Uh, he said even states like New Hampshire or Vermont have passed permitless carry. What about that, that uh, many other states are looking to do this? Uh, exactly half have already passed it. Sure. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's it's certainly passed in, in some way, shape or form in, in some of those states. I would I would venture to guess that most of those states 
the overwhelming majority of those states are Republican controlled. Um, and we're not looking at one of the biggest cross sections of, of opposition in each of those states. And that's been law enforcement. So in Florida, what the governor likes to call the free state of Florida, where we support our, our men and women in blue and, and we love our law enforcement as, as we should. We don't listen to them on this on this very important issue. By and large, the law enforcement community has opposed this measure in every one of those states. And part of that reasoning, Melissa, is probably because in those states you've seen an almost 13% increase in officer-involved shootings in states that have permitless carry. And that should be troubling not just the law enforcement community, but every community. Now, Democratic lawmakers well, so, say they'll no, one second, please, sir. Uh, Democratic lawmakers say they'll fight this bill. You've uh, argued for legislation to give local governments more of a say in passing gun safety laws. That's not possible at the local level because state laws tend to preempt uh, local regulations on a lot of different things nowadays in Florida. Will you still argue uh, for any kind of uh, different regulations in South Florida? Of course, of course. Look, one 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 community is not the same as, as every other community in the state of Florida. I've always believed that. I'm a big fan of home rule, not just on this issue, but any number of issues, letting local governments decide how they want to um, handle certain issues. And obviously a big part of that is 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 gun related. Um, what I what I think is important is I don't look at this, you know, supporters of it will call it constitutional carry. There's nothing in the Constitution that says you have the right to carry a firearm on your person. Um, there's nothing uh, you folks have called it permitless carry, untrained carry. I call it political carry. I think it's a degree of political theater that the governor, uh, Ron DeSantis, is using to his ability to, for his benefit to advance his political agenda and try to run for president of the United States. I think it's popular with the Republican base. I think by and large, responsible gun owners of all parties, of all backgrounds, all across this state stand opposed to this measure. And I'm going to be standing there with them. Eric Friday, we've just got about a minute or so before the break. Your response. Sure. Just so we're clear on the reality, uh, Governor DeSantis, for all his good things, uh, he's got his facts a little off. Unlicensed carry of a firearm is legal in 44 states. Some of those states require that the gun be carried openly if you are carrying it unlicensed. But the only states where you do not have the right to unlicensed to carry a firearm without having a special license other than Florida are Hawaii, California, Illinois, Wisconsin, and New Jersey. In every other state in this country, unlicensed carry of a firearm is legal. It is allowed. And no, we don't have blood in the streets. No, we don't have the Wild West. We heard these same specious claims in 1987 when the NRA first passed concealed carry in this state. And we continue to hear it every time the people say we want our civil wait, rights Wait, so you wait a minute. Back. You're, you're and, saying, wait, according to the research we've conducted, permitless carry is passed in about half the states. You're saying that's not right? No, that's not right. Half of the states have unlicensed concealed carry, mm -hmm. but 44 states have unlicensed concealed or open carry. So in 44 states, you can unlicensed carry a gun. Now, maybe it's concealed, maybe it's open, but you can carry a gun without a license in 44 states. Representative Dan Daly, I want to thank you for being with us, Democrat of South Florida, and Eric Friday, attorney, and he is a gun advocate with Florida Carry, Inc. as we discuss this issue. Thank you both, gentlemen, for being with us. Thank you. Thanks very much. We'll go to your calls in a moment. 305-995-1800 here on the Florida Roundup.
Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. I'm Alyssa Ross in Jacksonville. Lots of tweets and calls as we talk about the potential of expansion of gun rights in Florida. The legislature is looking at permitless carry, being able to carry a gun without a permit. David tweets the show, if you're going to carry a weapon, you should have insurance to protect yourself from criminal and civil liabilities. 305-995-1800, Jason in Jacksonville. Hi, Jason. Go ahead. Good morning, Melissa. I called your wonderful morning show up here, and I'm calling again because this is a really important issue. And my gist of this is very simple. It's pretty easy to figure out. DeSantis is definitely doing this to score political points. But the Party of Freedom, remember, the Republican Party is the Party of Freedom. Put this on the ballot and let the citizens of Florida decide. This doesn't need to be decided by an edict from the presidential wannabe in the governor's mansion. And it should be the same with a woman's right to privacy and a woman's right to control her reproductive system. Put those on the ballot. The Republicans are afraid to put these items on the ballot because they know that they do not have they do not have a winning hand. That is my point. I really appreciate you letting me make it. Have a great day. Thank you, Jason. Let's uh, bring in Martha in Miami. Martha, are you a retired police officer, I'm told? Um, yes, my husband and I are both native Miamians. We're both retired from Miami-Dade Police Department. And I have issue with a few things that were said. I do not believe that the number of police officers in the state of Florida want people to just have a gun without any permitting process, even if it's cursory, according to one that we have. I wouldn't want to go to a call with somebody that just had a gun. For one thing, um, you need to learn how to carry a gun without accidentally discharging it. And you need, more importantly, you need to know how to safely store that weapon um, so that a child can't get it and accidentally shoot themselves or take it to school and shoot their teacher, as happened in recent um, news events. Um, the number one killer of children is guns. It's not any disease. And this is something that needs to be publicized more widely. So I, I just can't believe, um, you know, the uh, congressperson brought up quite correctly is that we don't just hand keys to somebody and say, oh, here, learn how to drive when you get behind the wheel. You need to have, you need to at least keep the current um, um, checks on firearm sales in the interest of public safety. And thank you very much. Thank you, Martha. That's uh, Martha in Miami, a retired police officer, as we discuss expanding gun rights in Florida. Well, let's welcome State Representative Randy Fine into the conversation. He's a Republican representing Southern Brevard County. Fine recently announced plans to run for the Florida Senate in 2024. Representative, thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So you're a uh, co-sponsor of this bill. I want to ask you about the training uh, that's been brought up a couple of times. So should gun owners be required to take some kind of training in gun safety before they allowed to carry concealed weapons in public, own guns? What do you think? Well, gun owners are already allowed to carry openly in Florida. It just depends on the activity that they're doing. You're allowed to carry when you're going hunting, when you're going fishing. And what I would say more importantly is is concealed carry without a permit is already happening in Florida. It's happening in every state in the country. It just happens when criminals do it. All we're doing is saying those people who want to follow the law will have the same rights as the criminals who don't respect it anyway. But, I mean, criminals, are when they're caught by police and law enforcement and they don't have the permit, they're, they're held to account for it, right? Um, I think, yeah, if they are caught. But why should criminals have rights that law-abiding citizens do not? I mean, the Constitution says you have the right to keep and bear arms. Bear means carry. And that is the that's the Webster definition of it. And so we're simply saying that you're not going to need the government's permission in order to exercise your rights. Okay. Um, back to the training, though. Do you think there needs to be some kind of training uh, to prove that gun owners are you know responsible enough to to handle a deadly weapon and carry it in public i don't think it's the government's right to decide who gets to who gets to exercise their rights unless their rights have been taken away through due process of law i certainly encourage people to get training both of my sons as boy scouts 
go through gun safety training every year. And I think responsible gun owners will do that. But I think putting up barriers as the left wants to do, they're bad faith efforts to simply make it more difficult for people to carry guns. The fact of the matter is people have a right to do this. It's happening in the overwhelming majority of states without issue. And we're simply going to let law abiding citizens have the same rights that criminals have today. Well, let's go to uh, Kevin in the villages. You're on the air. What do you think, Kevin? Yes, I'm a retired Maryland trooper. All my law enforcement friends favor the ability of the private citizen to carry a handgun. Uh, it's the number one topic of discussion when I go to range qualifying events. As a uh, retired police officer, I have the ability to carry nationwide, and so should every other private citizen that uh, desires to do that and has a uh, background that uh, enables them to carry a handgun. What about the training thing, though, Kevin? Let me ask you about that. Should there be some training requirements, or should you just sort of leave it up to the gun owner to say, well, if they want to get trained, that's fine. If not, it's up to them. I think that's a fair question. Uh, I believe most people are conscientious enough to get the training. Uh, the people that I know that carry a handgun are very diligent about that. The statistics show actually that people that carry handguns, private citizens, have a lower incidence of, uh, of issues with the gun than, uh, than police officers. So, uh, I, you know, I'll accept the fact that, you know, training is needed, but I believe that people, that they do that on their own. Hmm. Let me come back to you, Representative Vine, if I could. So that call, Kevin. Uh, some critics of this bill say it doesn't go far enough. They're calling for open carry. Do you support open carry? I, I would vote for it if it came onto the floor of the House. But I think what we have to do is we have to go um, and pass what we can. And this definitely moved things in the right direction. And it will it will expand rights. It will allow people to carry concealed uh, without a permit. And so those who want open, fully open carry should support this bill because it moves in that direction. Uh, so back in 2018, you voted for the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Act, although you expressed some reservations about the gun safety components of the bill back then. Are there some gun reform or gun safety measures you do support? Well, I, I would argue that this is gun safety, because if, if you think back to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, if you'd had teachers that were able to carry concealed, maybe when the police officer ran away, they might have been able to step in and do something about it. As my sheriff in Brevard County says, you are your own first line of defense. And so I think what we are doing is we're increasing people's safety by giving them the ability to protect themselves. Do you think, though, it's going to encourage perhaps more gun ownership? And is there a risk of some of those guns falling into the wrong hands, whether it's criminals or whether it's children? Um, the, the process to own to purchase guns in Florida is unchanged by this bill. It's the same background check as before. This simply says that people who have acquired their gun using the process that exists right now do not then do not then need a second permission slip in order to carry it concealed. But this bill has absolutely nothing to do with your ability to acquire a firearm. Are there some places where guns should not be allowed? Um, I think that uh, sure jail. A police station. Um, I think those are places. But, no, but I'm talking, but, I'm talking um, about places like, you know, currently, for example, you, you can carry a, a firearm in some parts of uh, the capital, the state capital, for example. You can't bring them into meetings. Like, what, what restrictions do you think are reasonable? Well, I, I don't know that that's really relevant to what this bill is about. I mean, I think private property owners have the right to decide who does and does not come in to their property. But the bottom line is, is when one of these bad guys pops up somewhere and wants to take action, if someone is armed and, and able to, to respond, that will keep people safe. And I think that's what we're talking about here is saying that you should not need the government's permission in order to exercise your constitutional rights. You've already had to get the government's permission to buy that gun. That hasn't changed. But right, now but that there, you there, the there is there is data. There is data. I just want to just just interject here. There is some data showing that um, states where you know, Johns Hopkins did some study and found that uh, states where uh, permitless carry was allowed, uh, you know, gun violence increased by some proportion. So there is some data to, on the other side of that argument you're making right now that it's going to increase safety. Um, correlation does not equal causation. And in, in many of those states, 
Uh, I will say the states with the most restrictive gun laws in the country have the most gun violence. So clearly it doesn't work. I often say to my colleagues on the left, every time there's a mass shooting event in a blue state, how can that be? It's impossible. You have laws that say people can't own guns. So how did this happen? What folks need to understand is gun laws aren't magic. They don't magically make people unable to obtain a firearm. They don't magically make people unable to carry it. Criminals don't obey the laws. We're just giving law-abiding citizens the same shot. We're going to have to leave it there, but I want to thank you, State Representative Randy Fine, for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis proposed a slate of changes to Florida's university system on Tuesday that could shake up diversity, equity and inclusion programs, as well as faculty tenure at campuses across the state. DeSantis is asking the legislature in the upcoming session to eliminate all state funding towards those programs. He also wants them to pass a measure that would give university officials the power to launch a tenure review at any time. Looks like we don't have that sound from the governor, but uh, it's the latest in the governor's push to reshape Florida's colleges and universities, along with K through 12 schools. The governor recently appointed six new trustees to the board of Sarasota's new college. And last year, his chief of staff helped former GOP Senator Ben Sass navigate the application process to become the University of Florida's new president. We're talking about education now on the Florida Roundup. Let us know your thoughts. 305-995-1800 or tweet us at Florida Roundup as we welcome Andrew Gothard, President of United Faculty of Florida. Welcome. Ah, Thank you so much for having me. And Andrew Atterbury, he covers education for Politico. Our second Andrew, how you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. No place I'd rather be. All right. Uh, 305-995-1800. We did reach out to Richard Corcoran, the new interim president of New College and their new board of trustees. Uh, Chair Christopher Rufo, rather, we were unable to book them on the show. But uh, let's begin with you, Andrew Gothard, your president of United Faculty of Florida. You've issued a statement condemning what you call extremist authoritarian attacks from Florida's executive and legislative branches, and that you'll defend and support universities in their efforts to keep DEI initiatives and programs. Uh, Why is this important for United Faculty of Florida to issue such a strong statement? Well, it's important for a number of reasons. Number one, and and I want to state unequivocally here that DEI programs are actually good for higher education. The way that Governor DeSantis and his supporters are framing diversity, equity, and inclusion as being solely about race or as somehow the same thing as critical race theory are completely false, right? If you listen to the actual terms, diversity, equity, and inclusion, you can hear in there that that's actually about making sure that all of Florida's students have access to higher education. So some of the things that are included in DEI programs that most people who are not plugged into a university administration might not know are first-generation student success offices. So these are programs that have been created to help students who are the first person in their family to go to a college or go to a university and get a degree. And the reason we have these programs are because study after study showed that when you're the first person going to college in your family, you don't have that base of knowledge with your parents about how to register for classes or or where to get tutoring help or how to talk to your professors or how to apply for scholarships. And when you don't have that information, you struggle to assimilate into the college culture and you're much more likely not to finish your degree. So those are there to help first generation students. Veterans programs. So veterans who have served their country and are now looking to take advantage of the GI Bill and to get a degree. There are programs and offices that are designed to help them assimilate because often they're a little bit older than the 18 year olds who are coming directly out of college. Um, students with, ex- with disabilities, right? We call it student accessibility services. And these programs, by the way, are required under the Americans with Disabilities Act. This helps individuals who are differently abled get extra time on exams, take exams in other places, get textbooks that are easier for them to read or to engage with based on, you know, whatever situation they're in. There are also um, uh, gender discrimination, Title IX, EEOC. All of these elements are contained in DEI programs. 
So when the governor tries to frame DEI as somehow only about race, what he's doing is trying to trick the rest of Florida into mm -hmm. giving away programs and rights that are going to help students from all walks of life. If these initiatives are, in fact, defunded, how do you expect universities to respond and faculty who say they'll do whatever they can to keep them keep them going? How will that be possible if there is no funding? Well, it's really going to put universities in a difficult place. So, for instance, accreditation, um, for those who maybe aren't familiar with how universities and colleges are held to very high standards on a federal level, every university and college in Florida has to be accredited with a major accreditor that is approved by the um, uh, U.S. Department of Education. Many of those accreditation standards require some form of DEI programs in order to retain accreditation. And if institution loses accreditation, that means students no longer have access to federal financial aid, including Pell Grants. Institutions no longer have access to federal funding. And there are also various laws, like, you know, I mentioned the American with Disabilities Act, where institutions are required to provide certain services under federal law. So if Governor DeSantis goes forward with barring any state funding or, as he mentioned in his press release earlier this week, actually forbidding institutions from spending any money, regardless of the source, on these federally mandated programs, we're going to have a crisis where um, universities and colleges are going to be barred at the state level from doing something that they are required to do at the federal level. And we don't think Governor DeSantis has thought this through. And the, the groups that are going to pay and suffer the most as a result are going to be the students and families of Florida. And that's what we want to avoid at all costs. This is the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Uh, how concerned are you as president of United Faculty of Florida that these changes might make it more difficult to attract talented professors and uh, educators to the Sunshine State? We have heard some concern about that, along with attracting students. We are very concerned about that impact, and we're, all, we're already seeing it happen. So every day I hear from our leaders around the state, we have, we're at 34 different campuses, you know, all 12 uh, state public universities and 16 community colleges. We're, we're all over the map. Um, I, I hear every day about faculty searches that are now failing because they're not getting enough qualified candidates. I'm hearing about searches at major universities that used to draw three, 400 applicants that are now drawing 25 or 30, and the quality pool has dipped significantly. I'm being contacted by prospective faculty out of state who are asking me if all of these laws and proposals are real. And when they find out they are, they're saying, never mind, I'm not going to apply to come teach here. I'm hearing from colleagues across the country who are saying they are telling their graduate students not to apply not for to jobs. Not to apply here. Florida. And uh, hold that thought uh, as we continue the discussion. We want your calls here on the Florida Roundup. Let us know what you think. 305-995-1800. We'll be right back. the Florida Roundup. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. 
And I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. We're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and Governor DeSantis's vow to defund those initiatives and let them, as he says, wither on the vine. Give us a call. Let us know your thoughts. 305-995-1800. Or send us a tweet at Florida Roundup. With us, uh, Andrew Gossard, President of the United Faculty of Florida, and Andrew Atterbury, Education Reporter for Politico. Andrew Atterbury, let me come to you. Governor DeSantis has said that, quote, the most significant deadweight cost at universities is typically unproductive tenured faculty, end quote. I wonder if there's any research done on tenured faculty in Florida that would support that claim. Uh, when he was mentioning that, he definitely was citing some, uh, someone else. He, I don't know if there is really a study on what that would look like in Florida, whether it's quote unquote dead weight. It really would seem like that's what they want to take a look at, though, right? Because last year they pa- they took the really the first step at that. They passed a, a law that said, hey, universities could do a tenure review uh, every five years for faculty. And now they're saying, or now the governor is saying, let's ramp it up. We should be able to do it anytime, any place, just because we want to get a better uh, handle on what some of these folks are working on out there. Mm-hmm. Just want to um, flag a tweet here. Uh, Josh Gellers writes, and one thing that hasn't been discussed, the changes to higher ed will not only affect our ability to retain current faculty, but they also are already affecting our ability to attract new faculty. Why would anyone want to come and work here? What do you think of that, uh, Andrew Atterbury? I know there is some money that Governor DeSantis says he wants to plow into uh, retention or, or hiring at least for faculty that he says are qualified to work here in Florida, but what are you hearing from from uh, universities, from folks who work there? Is that a fear? Yeah, the $100 million you're mentioning is, is something uh, the governor brought up just this week in his budget recommendations. It's really interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, that's something we hear a lot from faculty in, and from the university officials, too, is that they that they really would like more funding put toward that faculty. That, so that, that honestly could be something that really does help recruitment in the state, more money towards that. Uh, but like uh, Dr. Gothard mentioned earlier, uh, people are saying that they're, they're hesitant to come to Florida. So money could be a major factor in that. But these policies, it's kind of like a double edged sword there. But at the same time, what the governor is talking about when some of his moves like uh, reshaping new college, it, they want to attract a certain type of, of academic. Right. They're looking for more conservative academics, people who they think would fit more into that mold. If you remember last year, it was uh, was the first time they did their survey on college campuses, trying to figure out if if they're more liberal or more conservative. The thinking from Republicans in Florida is that they are more liberal leaning campuses, so they're really trying to do what they can to even that balance. It seems like, and I, I think that's one thing we we'll have to see too with this with this what they do with the legislative packages. How is all this tied to money, especially with the diversity, equity, inclusion? He said they want to make like you mentioned earlier. They said they want to make sure that. They cut funding for it, but is that going to be state funding? How does that work with federal programs? So we do have kind of the skeleton of what they're looking to do in higher education, but a lot of these details are still not fleshed out at all. Mm-hmm. So what kind of programs fall under the that umbrella of diversity, equity, and inclusion? I mean, how wide-ranging could funding cuts be? Again, back to funding, I saw the, the figure of $35 million or so being floated around. Sure. And, and so that, that was I counted out at least that much money in the list that um, has been submitted to the governor. And that is just from universities. And these are things like uh, diversity offices. Uh, if you look at the, it's a, there's a list like, for instance, there's a University of Florida. They have um, an associate dean for diversity at the College of Nursing, which promotes diversity and inclusion um, at their nursing program. So these are all these are all things. I mean, pretty much anything that has the word diversity, equity, or inclusion in it is something that could be really at risk of losing funding this year. Right, and that could include veterans, people with disabilities as well, right? Yeah, that's that's what we're hearing, and we actually saw this play out firsthand at New College the same day that some of this uh, DeSantis news came out about DEI. Uh, one of the new trustees at New College, uh, Mr. Chris Rufo, as y'all, y'all mentioned earlier, he actually brought up right there at the meeting. He's like, I think we need to like abolish all of these programs right here. And uh, some of the school officials and the current chair said, well, okay, pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, we have a lot of different things tied to this. And it's not so easy as just eliminating it because uh, like Dr. Gothard mentioned earlier, there are programs tied to veterans, which is something else they mentioned there. So it's not as easy as just pulling the strings on these things. And all of a sudden programs are gone, all the money's gone. There are a lot of people who do different jobs that may be housed under diversity. So it seems like it's a lot more complex than than it may appear at first glance. And that's something that I think they're going to have to be working on for the next few months. 
Brad in Tampa. Hi, Brad. Thanks for calling the show. Go ahead. Hey, how are y'all doing? Uh, great to call in. Um, so one question is um, with the previous banning of AP, the African-American studies, why didn't that apply to any others? European studies, stuff like that. And then the other thing about the DEI program, how is this not a way to stop poor students who miss out on these grants, uh, be still be uneducated to keep them in Florida? Because when you're uneducated, you don't have your college degree, you make less to keep our workforce up. Sorry, I'm on my run. <laughs> oh, no. But that's it. Multitasking. Thank you, Brad. Uh, let's ask uh, those you. questions of Andrew Gothard, President, United Faculty of Florida. Dr. Gothard. Hey, I mean, those are great questions. You know, why is AP African-American history targeted as opposed to these other subjects? I think we could look at a long running pattern in Governor DeSantis's behavior to answer that. Why, uh, why abolish predominantly black voting districts instead of other districts? Why ban, uh, you know, s speech in support of white privilege, systemic racism as, as theories that exist and then condone as the state um, any language that disparages them. Why take these actions on AP history or DEI? I mean, there's one continuous pattern here, and that seems to be that Governor DeSantis wants to erase the voices and history of Black people in the state. You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio as we talk about the governor's push to defund what are called DEI programs in Florida colleges and universities. Charlie in Jacksonville. Hey, Charlie, or Charles, I should say. Go ahead. Hey guys, um, good morning. Um, I think it was Toni Morrison said that when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. I, you know, this is just a further step in DeSantis's um, dismantling of public education and higher education. You know, he's got, he wants to get rid of tenure so he can stack. Uh, after he gets rid of the administrators, like he did in New College, he wants to stack all the faculties with his uh, fascist stooges. And thanks a lot for taking my call. All right, Andrew Atterbury, critics of the governor's uh, sweeping changes he's pushing to enact throughout the educational uh, system in Florida, whether it's K through 12 or higher ed, critics of the governor have accused him of that. They've said he's trying to dismantle public education in the Sunshine State. You cover education in Florida. What are your thoughts about that accusation? Well, if you asked if you asked the governor that, he would point to likely a lot of the funding that they put in education. Education. Uh, another argument is always they're not doing enough to fund teachers. He's putting a lot more funding into that, proposing to this year again. So he'll say that they're trying to do their best to do that while also balancing parental rights. But if you, when you look at some of the moves, like the the college board's AP African American Studies curriculum, like you mentioned. And he said, and he, he's talked about this a lot in his administration's decision. He said that the, the, the lessons, some of the lessons in there, his, his administration didn't like. You know, he, he cited the like things on like queer studies and reparations. And he said that those uh, don't follow the Florida law, which I, I believe the law they're talking about would be the Stop Woke Act, which is what uh, Dr. Gothard mentioned earlier with the uh, banning of like language like white privilege and things like that. So it really is all tied together to this, to these different laws. But he, he argued that he didn't think that his administration should have those changes in those uh, that curriculum passed in Florida because of that. But then you had, you know, you had the civil rights attorney, uh, Benjamin Crump, came up here in Tallahassee and a lot of lawmakers, black, black Democratic lawmakers were arguing that that was a moot point and that banning that course really said a lot. And mm. but then again, and then the, the, some of those objections that Florida made were taken out of that course. So. And then now the college board is getting criticized for that. So this is really that has really been a saga this this year so far. It, we're almost out of time, but let's give uh, Dr. Gothard, United Faculty of Florida, the last word. Uh, Florida's educational issues are becoming a national flashpoint. They are absolutely, and I guess I would close by saying this: you know, we hear Governor DeSantis uh, as well as his supporters talk a lot about tenure, and let's be clear. Post-tenure review has already existed in the state university system, and that process is what has led to our system becoming one of the best in the world, where people from all over the country and all over the planet come to learn. 
And what Governor DeSantis is doing right now is out of one side of his mouth, he's saying we have the best higher education system in the world, but that we also have all this dead weight of tenured professors. Well, you know what? You can't have both. Either everybody's doing their job and they're doing it well and we're the best become because of it or we're not. So these arguments that we need to have more stringent post-tenure review are just a way to enforce more conservative ideology on campuses, to abridge the constitutional rights of the higher education community, and to force a far right-wing ideological takeover of our higher education system, just like we're seeing happen at New College. And at UFF, we believe in the rights of all faculty and students, regardless of their political persuasion, and we will push back against any attempts to enforce state-sponsored speech and ideology on our campuses. Uh, one last question uh, for, for conservative listeners who think uh, academia has uh, silenced conservative voices. What's your response to that? I would say that's absolutely not true. Right. If you go walk around any campus, you will find that there are people all over the political spectrum and that they tend to cluster to the areas that interest them. If you go into any business school around this country or around this state, I should say, and walk in, you will find a majority of conservative leaning faculty. And that makes sense because they're teaching the tenets and the values of the free market of and capitalism. Free market. And uh, I appreciate that response. And I want to thank you, Dr. Andrew Gothard, president, United Faculty of Florida and Andrew Atterbury. Education reporter for Politico. Thanks, Andrews. <laughs> Thank you both. Thank you. And that's our show. The Florida Roundup is produced by WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville and WLRN Public Media in Miami. Heather Schatz, Brendan Rivers, and Bridget O'Brien are producers. WLRN's Vice President of Radio and our Technical Director is Peter Mance. Engineering help from Doug Peterson, Charles Michaels, and Isabella De Silva. Richard Ives answers the phones. A theme music by Miami jazz guitarist Aaron Lebos at AaronLebos.com. I'm Matthew Petty. And I'm Melissa Ross. Matthew Petty, you've been a fantastic interim host, and we're going to miss you uh, so much. Next week, we will welcome new co-host Danny Rivero of WLRN. Have a great weekend.